This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 59, Hot Statue Takes, recorded on January 30th, 2017. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. As always with your host, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh, nothing particularly notable pass, to pass along, but I'm doing pretty well. That's good. That's. I kind of want to die, so I'm jealous. I mean, I had this stupid... The reason we didn't do a podcast last week is because I had a cold where I didn't think I could go more than like two seconds without coughing, but now at least I think I can make it a full sentence or two before I'll have to pause and then cough and then just re-edit it later, so... It's doable now. <laughs> I think the world's also ready to hear a couple of your coughs. I don't feel like we have to redo everything for every cough. You've acknowledged that you're sick. If, hide the women and children. Matt may cough. I'm going to do it directly into the microphone like every time you say something important. But I, was, I don't know if it's the right way to do it, but I, didn't, I purposely didn't take any medicine until like a half hour before the podcast. Because I was thinking like... If you don't have anything in your system and you take it, maybe your body's like, holy cow, it's working now. So maybe it'll work extra good now compared to all day when I was miserable. That's, that's the hope anyway, I think. <laughs> I don't know if that, that logic is sound or not. But... Sounds plausible. <laughs> so enough about coughing and sick and horrible things. Um, quite a bit has happened since we've had our last episode two weeks ago. Even just last week since then, the Indians, they signed Austin Jackson. It's technically a minor league deal, but he has an opt-out after spring training. And if he doesn't make the team, uh, but if he does make the team... He's going to make uh, $1.5 million. It can be about as much as $5.5 with incentives. Uh, he had knee surgery last season when he signed a deal with the White Sox. And for what it's worth, the Indians were rumored to be chasing after him last year, but he ended up signing with the White Sox. The Indians got Rajai Davis, who it turned out kind of, kind of okay. So so what do you think about signing Austin Jackson this year? Do you think the Indians will look back on it? and Will he even be with the team when the season starts, or is he just going to be kind of spring training fodder? Uh, I would guess he oh, I, don't, I, I guess i would say if i had to go one of the other commit right now that he doesn't make the opening day roster um whether he decides to opt out i guess would depend on what other team situations look like i don't know i just feel like the indians have a lot of in-house outfielders at this point um and i feel like for someone new coming into that to kick someone who was already there out of a spot uh you know they'd have to be significantly better but, I mean, whatever comes of it, I mean, this is exactly the sort of signing the Indians ought to make. There's no risk involved. He either looks a lot better in spring training than he did last year, and you do get something out of him, or he doesn't. Maybe he opts out, and the team is out almost nothing. I thought it was a weird deal for him, if anything, because he must not have had a whole lot of offers. Because, like you said, this is an outfield that's full of players like him. They could use, like, a really great outfielder, but, I mean, he's not a great outfielder. He's just... At the very least, I think he's a slightly better A. Belmonte. But like you said, if he's going to replace anybody, he'd have to be like quite a bit better than I'm pretty sure he's going to be way more expensive than Belmonte. So I think there's a decent chance he's just cut after spring training. Although I didn't even think of the fact that he might just accept going to AAA. Do you think he will? Because in my mind, it was just either I'm going to be on the team or I'm going to use the opt-out and look somewhere else. Like you don't think you get a job somewhere else at all? I don't know. I mean, it, I feel like if if he was confident... I don't know. I, to me, he's got to know this is a fairly crowded outfield situation. And I feel like if he were just, I want to start or I want a major league spot no matter what, I feel like someone would have offered him the same sort of almost nothing deal the Indians would offer him where he'd have a better chance. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, potentially, whether it's potential teammates or coaching staff or defending American League champions, I mean, maybe there's something about the situation and he'd be willing to... You know, a lot of times they have, like, multiple opt-outs, and if he doesn't opt out by a certain time, he's got to stick around for a while. But then, again, like, May 1st he could opt out or something. So he might stick around for, like, a month of the season, see how things shake out um, before bouncing somewhere else. But, I, I mean, I think it's worth – I mean, two one, two things worth pointing out. One, he was bad last year. Um, yeah. You know, and there were injuries in there, too. But when he played – uh, 318 on base percentage, a 343 slugging percentage. Um, you know, his, his defense at the beginning of his career was great and then was kind of decent. But at this point, his defense isn't much to, to talk about either. So that said, 2015, um, not great, but I don't know. I guess you can see he at least had a little more power then. 
but like I said, I would guess he doesn't play for the Indians, or if he does, it's in a fairly minor role. Yeah, I can't imagine any kind of like spring training is going to affect a whole lot of what he does. I guess it'd be like an injury, maybe like to Almonte or somebody else who gets injured. But like you said before, he's just not a big enough upgrade over anybody. I don't think so. Yeah, we get a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> when I ask for questions every week now, it's about Brantley in the outfield. So let's talk about the outfield. I don't. I don't want to talk about Brantley anymore. We don't know anything else about him. What do you people want? But the outfield. Um, how confident are you in that going into 2017 in general? Do you think? Um, either with or without Jackson, which probably apparently we don't, neither of us think he's going to be on the team or have a big factor, but what do you think the outfield is going to look like? Is it going to be a huge weakness? Is it going to be kind of basically the same it was last year where it just did enough to get by, or is it going to be a total dumpster fire? I think it's like last year. I mean, other than Davis, it's the same guys back, except for they've got Geyer from day one. Um, I don't think 2014 Michael Brantley's ever coming back, but they're not going to get any less out of Brantley than they did last year. So, like, worst-case scenario, that's the same. I think it's the weakness on the team, but I don't think it's worse than it was last year when the Indians won the division and won the American League. So it's not, like, a big concern to me. The The Indians are never going to have a perfect roster, a perfect starting lineup. Um, I don't think... Fans should worry that the outfield is going to be some sort of albatross that drags them, you know, into second or third place. So who do you have position by position? Like left field, obviously if Bradley's healthy, it's Bradley. But what if he isn't? Is it like Yandy Diaz or is it like Almonte goes over there? I imagine they're going to keep Naquin in center field. I don't know what they shift him to the yeah, corner. Yeah, I mean, I would think Almonte probably scoots over. Um, you know, I think Chisenhall and Brandon Geyer sort of share right field um, with Geyer occasionally playing in left. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, when they play, Chisenhall will be in right, uh, Naquin will be in center, Geyer will be in one of the corners, Almonte will be in left or center, and I think they kind of just mix and match those five, um, and if Brantley is around, then Almonte gets a lot less playing time, uh, and Chisenhall and Geyer are more of a straight platoon in right. That would be my expectation. I think Almonte's sort of on the bottom of the list of guys who I expect to be on the roster um, and gets the least playing time. I think, to me, the big question about the outfield is Naquin. Um, does he make adjustments that allow him to uh, bounce back from his pretty terrible last couple months of the season? Or the way he was exposed those last couple months, is that just who he is going forward, at which point he's only questionably worth rostering. Yeah, I think if he if he makes those adjustments and gets even anywhere near what he was at first, that's that's not a terrible outfield because Chisenhall Geyer is a good platoon in right, and Naquin would be at least decent in center. And we talked about it a lot last year that very few teams go into a season without any holes. So if the Indians, if left field is their biggest hole and that's pretty much their only massive gap on the roster, that's that's pretty good going in. I think I don't think it's going to drag the whole team down at all whatsoever. I don't think it's near worrying about as much as Indians fans do. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's, it's, it could definitely be better. Uh, there's like almost, you know, there's a, a variety of question marks in it, but yeah, like we've both said, like there's just every team, especially every team in the Indians, you know, sort of revenue range is going to have some questions. Uh, I don't see how anyone could have more questions about the roster right now than they did a year ago. And that team, and to, to the two of us, it wasn't a big surprise, you know, went on to win the division. Uh, and I don't think it looks like anyone else in the division has improved during the offseason. So I don't know. I, I think it's I guess fans feel like I've got to worry about something in the outfield <laughs> and losing Mike Napoli feel like the two things Indians fans have decided to worry about without end. Although I will say I've been doing this a lot um, shorter time than you have, but it feels like people are a lot more optimistic this year. I mean, for obvious reasons, but. Like compared to last season or the season before, it just feels so much better coming off a World, even a World Series loss. It's just everybody's so hopeful. I don't know how well it'll carry over next year. Like anything other than a World Series win, I think it's going to be dreadful in the off season. But for now, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much of it you see anymore without having to stare at Facebook and Twitter comments all the time. But it's not I as mean, bad as they. I think like a lot of people have shifted, but I mean, I think certain people are just wired to always feel like. Something could be better. Something should be better. And if something's not better, it's going to be a huge problem. And for that segment of the fan base, the outfield and Mike Napoli, like every week we get more questions about is Mike like one, 
why are you asking us questions if you don't listen to the podcast? You've talked about Mike Napoli like six episodes in a row. Uh, two, move on. It's not he's not Mike Trout. Are they going to sign him though? He's great, Jason. Are they going to sign him? Damn it. <laughs> so, anything else about the outfielder Austin Jackson? And then I'd say at least if not for a few weeks, we can stop talking about it. Well, yeah, I mean, except for they're going to like they'll sign someone else like Austin Jackson, and then you know the question will be like. Is he the guy that makes a big difference? They're not going to sign anyone who substantially changes the outfield picture, I don't think. They might sign even another guy like Austin Jackson. Um, but Is there even anybody they could sign right now, or would it be a trade? I mean, I'm trying to think of remaining free agents. I don't think there is any. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's someone else that can sign to a minor league deal. There's always someone else that can sign. Well, I mean, like, that would substantially change it. No, I mean, no. no I, I don't know who the out, the, I'm sure there are outfielders left, but there's no one the Indians are going to sign. They're not going to sign someone to like a $10 million contract for next year. Um, we should all look at the roster right now and accept that any differences between now and opening day are going to be, you know, fringe little last guy in the bullpen type things. And we should be happy about that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you got everything up front and now you just deal with it for the rest of the offseason. <laughs> I think it's partially just because it's January, almost February, and people just want anything, which we're so close to pitchers and catchers now. I mean... I keep saying it's like, what, two weeks now yeah, before they report? Weeks. And then spring training starts shortly after that, and then yep. we're off and going. It's crazy. This is, it just feels like it's gone on so long now I want it to end. I tweeted once that at the beginning of the offseason, it was kind of neat having, because I sort of almost have to watch every game or pretty close to it. So it's kind of neat having every night, I can just do whatever. But now I'm over it, and I want baseball to watch. Yeah, <laughs> I've even started you, watching, like, yeah, the what legal you realize is Either way, you have to pay attention to baseball all the time. And if you're going to pay attention to it, it's more enjoyable if there's actual games. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Okay, so uh, over the weekend, we were going to talk about Fest, but we decided since neither of us went to it, uh, you didn't watch any of the coverage, and I barely watched any of the coverage. So we won't talk about that. Instead, specifically, we're going to talk about the most important thing to come out of it, really, in the long term, is that the Indians are hosting the 2019 All-Star Game. It's their sixth All-Star Game, the most of any team, their first since 1997. And I guess worth noting is that the Indians hold the three most attended All-Star Games in history, uh, 1981, 1935, and 1954. All had well over 60, a little over 70,000 attendees, although admittedly the first two were at a time where it kind of mattered more anymore. I don't think people care about All-Star Games, but... Yeah, the Indians, they have the most ever, they have the most attended ever. It seems like a pretty great place to host it now they're getting a sixth one. Um, are you excited about it, or do you just not really mind all that much? Or What's your thoughts on the all no, I think it's cool. Um, I don't think I'll be attending or anything like that. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's cool for the team. It's cool for the city. Uh, it's a big event. Um, you know, it's been a, it'll have been 22 years, which is long, although when you consider the fact that there are 30 teams – uh, obviously, there are teams that have been waiting longer than the Indians. Um, so they, you know, with, with especially without having a new stadium, um, would be it's sort of a surprise that they were able to sort of jump in line. Which leads me to the other part of this, which I'm not the first person to bring up, and I'm mildly hesitant to bring up. Um, but there's no one but you to yell at me for bringing it up. So um, the issue of has there been, and if not, should there have been some sort of behind closed doors deal between the commissioner and the Dolans that uh, if you want the all-star game, Chief Wahoo's gone by the time the all-star game happens. How dare you, Jason? No, I think that's a good, that's a good thought. Cause they're going to talk about it. I've heard they have talked about it and that they kind of came at the same time. I will, I would, if they did make that deal, I wonder if they'd ever admit it, that it was kind of like a tit for tat kind of thing, or if they just announce it later and not tell us it came at the same time. But that would seem like a good reason to jump in line. I think if they if they agree to get rid of the logo altogether. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're American League champions. If the, if the logo were just gone right now, I mean, whenever the logo is gone, there's going to be a, a group of fans, and not a small group of fans. There's going to be a large group of fans that completely flips out over it. Um, anyone who's paid any attention to any Chief Wahoo discussion in the last five or ten years knows exactly what they're going to say. Um yeah. What are you, are you really going to give up your fandom of the defending America League champions because of a logo? And if you are, like, what a silly person you are. <laughs> um, and, you know, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, said during the postseason, you know, I don't have his exact quotes in front of me, but that, you know, basically, you know, he'd be talking to the, you know, the Dolans about it and felt like it was 
not completely appropriate for a major league team. He also can't do anything himself. Like, he can't force a team to change something. But the All-Star Game is maybe the single biggest thing that Major League Baseball has to give or not give to a team. So if he was serious about wanting it to change, um, offering the All-Star Game would be you know, the best offer he could make. And the flip side is, if, if he was serious about it, and he gave them the All-Star game without working out any sort of deal, uh, then he's an idiot. I don't think he's an idiot. So if there's not some sort of deal, then I think the answer is Major League Baseball doesn't actually care about Chief Wahoo. Yeah, like you said about it being a great opportunity for Cleveland in general, uh, Nate in the comments, he said, I think the All-Star game is great for Cleveland because it showcases it's a showcase opportunity that they would not be afforded otherwise, which is kind of the same thing. And Manfred's going to give them that kind of floor to show off the city in the World Series. I would think he would at least kind of mention can you get rid of the weird logo, the weird racist logo for a little bit? Because I don't, I, you can't have been proud watching that in the World Series in a sport, I don't think. It didn't seem like it from what he was saying exactly either. Yeah, no, exactly. It feel, I mean, it felt pretty clear like he would prefer Chief Wahoo be gone, but that he also understand he had to be diplomatic. He couldn't just unilaterally get rid of it. He specifically mentioned talking, sitting down to talk during the off season. If that discussion happened... And then pretty out of nowhere, it was announced that the Indians were getting the World Series. To me, the most logical thing is they came to some sort of agreement. I wouldn't expect them to announce it. Uh, I feel like the Dolans, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Manfred would want it to sound like he made the deal. And for the Dolans, I feel like they probably would rather be able to say like, oh, we're making this decision on our own because we feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, Hey, watch your American League champions and get ready for an all-star game. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, like I said, I don't expect an announcement that that was the deal. Uh, But I guess I would think that by the time the All-Star game rolls around, Chief Wahoo's not going to be on Indians hats or jersey sleeves anymore. And, you know, that's 2019. That's I don't know if that means something happens in 2017 and 2018 or just for the start of the 2019 season. Uh, But I would bet... Like I said, no Chief Wahoo on the hat or jerseys by 2019. Yeah. So, so the last thing on Wahoo, we won't talk about this anymore, but uh, do you think it was better or would be better to say that we're doing this on our own? Or would it be better, as far as fan backlash go, to say that Manfred's making us do this? Uh, I mean, in the short term, for the Indians, it would be better to say Manfred is making us do this. Um, I suspect Manfred wouldn't make the deal that way, though. And I also think in the long term, it's better that the Indians, whether they really did or not, say we're doing this because it's the right thing because 10 15 years from now it's going to look to the vast majority of people like it was the right thing and it's better to be on the right side of history in those cases there's a lot of things that 10 years from now we're going to look back at and it's going to be like yeah why like why was there an argument about that why was anyone trying to prevent that why was anyone trying to do that and the people who are on a certain side of it are going to be sort of the bad guys in that version of the story. I think for the Dolans, long term, it's better that they not blame it on someone else. So moving on from the Chief Wahoo, the whole, all, or the whole All-Star Game stuff, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame. Uh, Manny Ramirez was up for a vote last year again. He didn't get it. He's probably not ever going to get it at this point, I don't think, um, with the whole failing a drug test. No matter what kind of lenient or how lenient voters get, I don't think he'll ever get in. But... Starting next year, there's two that maybe could get in, uh, Jim Tomey and Omar Vizquel. So what do you think about those two on the ballot? Do you think either of them are going to be in first ballot or ever, or what do you think? Uh, I think Tomey gets in um, and gets in pretty quickly. Um, I guess I won't say first ballot, but I don't think any more than like three years for Tomey. Um, I think, you know, other, you know, especially with Bagwell going in this year, Um, the precedent right now seems to be if you haven't, if there's not a lot of evidence that you use performance enhancing drugs, uh, then big power hitters aren't having the era held against them the way they were even a couple of years ago. Um, so I feel like Tomei, not just 500, but 600 home runs is a big enough number that some of the more traditional voters are going to look at that. And, and, you know, that's really a lot of home runs, uh, 1,699 runs batted in. Um, and then for people who are less enthralled with home runs, but look at other things like on base percentage, oh, a 402 on base percentage, a 956 OPS, um, 
And he was a fantastic hitter. And I think, you know, advanced metrics like war and things like that, I think, you know, comfortably above the bar. Uh, I think he'll get in without too much trouble. Omar Vizquel, I don't know what to make of, of his candidacy because to me, he's not a home, uh, a hall of famer. Um, but man, a lot of people are in love with this case. A lot of people expect him to get in. Um, so I'm, I'm prepared to be proven way wrong on him, but I would bet against Vizquel getting voted in. Yeah, I saw people saying things like he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, which, okay, at least I'm not the only crazy one who doesn't think that. But yeah, there was a post by Craig, Edward, or Craig Edwards on Fangraphs that was about, it was just titled Omar Vizquel and the Worst Hitting Hall of Famers. So basically, um, by WRC+, Plus, which adjusts for like era and everything offensively, the only player in the Hall of Fame worst, if Omar Vizquel got in, would be Bill Mazeroski. Um, I mean, Omar had a very similar slash to Ozzie Smith, who was obviously way better on defense. Uh, but Smith played in the era when there was a lot less offense, so he looks a lot better by comparison. Ozzie also, also stole bases. But, um, but yeah, I think the thing that's going to hurt Omar the most is the 10 ballot limit. Like, the people who would vote for him are probably also the kind that add everybody who's actually worthy, not just going by, like, home runs of their own steroid kind of things. They just put anybody who would be worth it on there. And I think if they do, they're probably going to have... Vizquel, even if they were going to vote for him, he would be not one of the top ten because there's so many that deserve it now that if you're putting Vizquel on there, somebody who really deserves it is not going to get into the Hall of Fame if you put a vote for him. See, I think he'll get a decent amount of support because I think actually the people who are most likely to vote for him aren't necessarily voting for ten because I think the people who would admire Vizquel's case the most are the guys leaving Bonds and Clemens off and leaving... uh, a lot of guys, I mean, I think he'll get a decent amount of support. I don't think he's going to be like Kenny Lofton where he falls off the ballot right away. Um, I just don't think he has like a broad enough case. I feel like in this day and age, like you need a little something for more than one constituency. And I feel like Omar Vizquel's case is so built on like kind of a traditional, you know, almost 3,000 hits and a lot of gold gloves. I feel like that's the sort of voter who goes for him. And again, my guess is there's just not enough of those types of voters. Like you said, his his sort of basic um, offensive numbers, like if you don't adjust for anything, do look a lot like Ozzie Smith's. Um, but that, you know, you start to dig a little deeper and Smith's numbers look a lot better. And I've had arguments with Indians fans I respect a lot um, who feel like they're a match defensively, but to me, I look at the numbers available to me and feel like, no, Smith was... I feel like he's a poor man's Ozzie Smith, which isn't a bad thing to be, but I just don't see Hall of Fame. But Smith is one of the best defensively ever. That's not Omar. He was really good defensively, but not Ozzie Smith level. And also, Nate, in the comments, he mentioned that um, Biscale's biggest disadvantage at shortstop became an offensive position. Do you think that'll play a part at all? Just the fact that how much the game has changed since then, that people... It's to the point where they expect a shortstop to hit more than they did back then. Maybe. I don't think it's that much just like shortstop specific. I just think like, I mean, that I guess maybe plays into it a little bit. I feel mostly it's just like we're, we're looking with a little more, uh, I don't know, more of a fine tooth comb. Or is I, 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 feel, I guess you're right in that there was an era when like a guy with that many gold gloves at shortstop and that many hits would have just been like, oh, yeah, that's like a Hall of Fame sort of thing. Right, And I don't know how much of that not being it is like, you know, Cal Ripken and A-Rod and how much of it that not being true anymore is just like, oh, he was a really, I mean, like as Hall of Fame terms, he was, as you already pointed out, a terrible hitter. Um, War, he's nowhere close. And it's not that any voter is strictly looking at war, but I do think war captures kind of the gist of what a lot of voters these days are looking at. Um... And I'm, I, I have fan graphs in front of me right now. So, I mean, it might be a little different at Baseball Reference. Um, but fan graphs, he's right below Tony Fernandez in war. He'll get more support than Fernandez. But I just don't see how he jumps from more support than Tony Fernandez to 75%. Yeah, it, it'll be really interesting to see what he gets the first year. I hope he doesn't get – I mean, I don't think he'd be in the Hall of Fame. But I also don't want him to get the, the Kenny Lofton treatment. I think no, now I people think focus on defense I, more. I think he'll stay on the ballot like – the full 10 years, but I don't see him getting, if he gets in, I feel like it's a veterans committee where like he happens to be up with the right committee that still looks at things with more of sort of like what I'm describing as the old fashioned perspective. And you know, that committee it's, I can't remember, is it 12 members and you need nine votes or 16 members and you need 12 votes, but either way, 
it's much more likely to find the right group of voters to get 75% of 12 or 16 than to get 75% of 400 plus baseball writers. Right. Right. So what do you think of, well, we're sort of on the same general subject of players who might only get into the veterans committee. Do you think if, if Lofton was on it today, he'd be viewed differently, at least not dropped off as quick. And do you think he'll eventually get in or no? Uh, I don't know. I kind of, I, I don't really feel like he's going to get in ever. Um, I think he would have done better on the ballot if it had been, you know, this year than when it was. Um, I don't think he was ever going to get voted in. I don't really think there's anyone who, even if I think they're deserving, I don't think there's anyone who can't get 5% that was going to climb all the way to 75% in 10 years. Um, but I think it's the same. Kenny Lofton and Kevin Brown are the two guys uh, at least in the you know last 20 years that have fallen off the ballot in their first year, uh, who I think not only belonged on the ballot, but should be in the Hall of Fame. So those are the two guys that get bummed out when I think about guys falling short of 5%. So I'm going to cross this into a, a little platform I want to go on here. I mean, I was less than, I was under 10. I turned 10 in 2000. So during the 90s, I was I was little. I was just sort of watching baseball. I wasn't a diehard like teenage Indians fan or anything. But when I think about the 90s Indians, it's always Kenny Lofton that comes to mind. Yet, like Tommy has the statue. We'll talk about statues in a minute more. But is that just me, or is that like wh- who do you think when you think of the '90s Indians? For me, it's always immediately Kenny Lofton sliding into home and Kenny Lofton in the outfield. It's, it's barely ever Tommy first. I don't know. Is that a Cleveland thing? I don't really. I don't know. I don't really have a player first. Like I, so many names jump out at me sort of all at once that I'd have a hard time saying what order they're jumping out at me. I mean, when I think back on the teams. Um, you know, Bell, Lofton, and Tomei are like the three main guys I think of. Um, but it's worth pointing out, you know, the those teams are famous for making the World Series in 95 and 97. Neither Lofton or Bell was on the 97 Indians. So those two only played in one of the two World Series. Um, you know, Lofton was only gone for one year between those two stints, but it happened to be that. But I think a lot of Indians fans sort of forget that. Um so I don't know. I to me, Lawson's not the guy uh, because there isn't really a the guy. But when you look at his body of work, I mean, he's he's not like a slam dunk Hall of Fame candidate. I get that, but it's interesting to me because Tim Raines is someone I see as like not a substantially different overall career value. I mean, I'd put Raines ahead of Lofton, but not like head and shoulders above him. And Tim Raines, and I'm so happy for him. You know, this big effort over years to get him into the Hall of Fame, finally paid off. But it's interesting to me that he became like a cause. And Kenny Lofton, who I feel was like 90-some 90, 90 percent of what Tim Raines was, when he fell off the ballot, hardly anyone even seemed to care. Yeah, it's also like I kind of think it was too early for people to care. Like if it came out today when there's everybody talking about it and more people would have noticed, I think. There would have at least been somebody who picked up his cause like Tim Raines. I do wonder who the next is going to be. I know there's been some talk about it, but who do you think the next is going to like – Internet writers are going to pick up and try to carry the weight of the Hall of Fame. I would say Edgar, but I, I think, think he's going to get it anyway. Edgar, he's only got two years left. I think he gets a big push uh, because he needs a big push. He's about where Tim Raines was uh, two years ago. And so, I mean, he certainly could get in, but he needs the push. I feel like he's the guy who's going to get it. Yeah, and I don't – there was somebody, I can't remember who it was, that was way lower on the ballot that people were mentioning. But I think Edgar gets in either way because I think people in general, without anybody – going all Jonah Carey on it, they realize that he should be a Hall of Famer. I think more people are coming around just on their own with more information. So uh, I really hope he I don't know. I, he's, you don't think so? With two years left, he had his, his highest percentage ever this year. It was almost 59%, which is a big jump. Um, but he needs to match that jump in the next two years. And for a guy to go up like 15 percentage points two years in a row is almost unheard of. I think, I think he gets in, but I do think it's because there's a big active push um, that goes out of its way and changes the minds of a lot of people who wouldn't have had their minds changed if they were trapped in a room by themselves for the next two years. I, I really want to see what it's going to be like with all ballots being public right away. If that's going to cause like big jumps one way or the other, I think that's going to be really neat. So even if after the first year that people see, kind of the reaction of having your ballot public, if that affects what they do the year after that. I think we're going to see more jumps in general as people, like as new voters come in. Because even in the last, like, several eras of voters, I don't think there's been this big of a change of how people think about baseball. So I think the more new people get in, the bigger jumps we're going to see compared to before. 
which that's based on basically nothing, but that's just what I think is going to happen eventually. I think this year was the first year, I think there were like a significant number of new voters, and I think there was a significant number of old voters who were lopped off. And the new voters mm-hmm. might be just as significant next year, um, but I don't think you're going to see as many old voters lopped off. So I think even if the new voters next year are a lot like this year's new voters, it's going to have a smaller overall impact on it. So I don't know. We'll see. Edgar two years ago was at 27%. He went from <laughs> yeah. 27 to 43 to 58. I mean, that's a massive two-year climb. Um, like I said, I think he gets in, but I think he only. I don't think he gets in unless there's a lot of people talking him up between now and then. And uh, before we move on to Hall, uh, Hall of Fame stuff, I also don't want to say, I think obviously Tomey is a Hall of Famer. Even, even if it's not first ballot, which is kind of a dumb designation anyway, I think he'll get in relatively quick, like you said. I mean, during his peak, which I just lazily said 95 to 2004, he was fourth in Fangraphs War, fourth in Home Runs, sixth in WRC Plus. And in Jaws, which is the, what is the official thing? It's like Jaffe War Score System. I think it's it's a measure of Hall of Fame worthiness by like, it averages out everything. And his is 57.2, which is um, 10th among all for all-time first baseman. That's a, that's in front of several Hall of Famers and only behind a couple like Lou Gehrig and a couple of – also Albert Pujols is number two among first baseman, which is crazy. Um, but, yeah, I think he'll get it relatively quick. I don't think there's any doubt that he'll be in. Yeah. So that'll be the first – oh, go ahead. No, yeah, like I said, I think two years ago I had more questions about his case just because it felt like there was more of a uh, – power hitters from the 90s are bad contingent um but frank thomas coasted in bagwell finally climbed in bonds's numbers are going up um you know i think i I think tommy gets in without too much fuss yeah i feel like the last the last stand those people are going to have is the 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 players who actually failed a drug test after it was implemented i think is the last like no yeah manny is a different case right but i think the players who were suspected i think they're finally getting over that and just letting them get in yep well, Which is good. He doesn't even fall into that case. His name was never, I mean, he's not on any of the lists that Bonds or, you know, other guys were like, he's just a guy who was strong and hit a lot of home runs, which makes a certain number of people. Right. And like you said, a few years ago, that would have been enough to, for him yeah. not to be considered. But I think it's getting looser and looser as we go. Eventually, it will just be the people who tested positive will almost never get in. I don't know how long that'll take, but, but yeah, I think Tommy will get in. No problem. Um, and Tommy, of course. How about this for a segue? Here's a statue, and the Indians are going to add two new statues. Frank Robinson and Lou Boudreau both got in. Uh, Robinson's is going in Heritage Park. Boudreau's is the right field gate. I thought I had it written down, but I don't, but I'm pretty sure it's outside. Uh, Robinson, he only played three years in Cleveland in the 70s, and then he managed for three more years. But the most important thing was he's the first African-American manager in the AL. Um, and also, slightly less important, but still relevant, he coined the phrase, close only counts on horseshoes and hand grenades. People always leave off that the beginning of that quote was, in baseball, comma, yeah, he made, he made that phrase. I thought that was important to note. Um, and Lou Boudreau, of course, uh, 13 of his 15-year career, he played the Indians. 63 war, which is third all-time on the Indians. And he was a player manager from the age of 24 in 1942 until 1950. So for nine seasons as a 20-year-old, he also managed the team while he played, which just seems incredible. Like, imagine a today 24-year-old, which would be, is that Lindor? Is he 23, 23, yeah. So next year, Lindor taking over as manager. As much as I like Lindor, that just seems bizarre to have a player do that. But Bujo did it. He led the Indians to one of their World Series, their last World Series, obviously. Um, I think he really deserves a statue. I'm glad he got one. I still think Tomey's is really weird, but I'm glad these two are getting, and I'm glad Feller has one and Larry Doby. So, so what do you think of these two getting? Anyway, I know in our last when we did our draft of baseball things, you actually drafted Frank Robinson, and then good timing. The Indians must have listened and wanted a statue. <laughs> I think your name is going to be inscribed at the bottom as part of his thing, like also drafted by Jason Lucart. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think both of them, and for you know, for separate reasons, are are, are worthy picks. Uh, you know, Boudreaux, one of the best and most important figures in franchise history, um, a completely logical pick in that regard. And yeah, Frank Robinson. I mean, the history involved in being the first African American manager, which I think the Indians—that's the kind of thing they like to tout. Um, so my concern's not so much either of them getting a statue it's man this is a lot of statues in a really (laughs) short time and at some point none of them feel as significant or cool when there's so many new ones you know for for a while it was just the bob feller one uh and unlike you i don't have any problems or questions about the jim tomei one i think he's a completely logical choice um 
And I think Larry Doby is a great, like, they're not choosing anyone I think is undeserving, but it's like space them out a little bit more. I feel like, you know, how many statues can a ballpark have where they all feel cool? And I, you know, I don't, I don't know that there is a set number, but I feel like the Indians are, are pushing up against something like that just by doing them so quickly. And so I don't, yeah, know, I don't, I don't know who I think should have to wait. Um, but I feel like it would have been worth giving the Tome and Doby ones a little bit more time as the new ones before adding one, anyone else. I mean, like Lou Boudreau, there's, he's not undeserving, um, but he's also not alive. So it's not like you're putting it up so that he can be a part of the ceremony or anything like that, or he gets to see it or experience it. So like, I don't know what the real difference would be between giving him one now and giving him one in five years or so. Or at the very least next year when it's the 70th anniversary. I mean, or 75, wait till that. Wait till some kind of anniversary of the 48 World Series. Yeah, I mean, the All-Star Game, um, you know, I guess that'll be, have been 65 year. No, nope, sorry, I'm thinking of 54 when they, uh, when <laughs> It'd be they 71 lost years. the World Series. Way to go, Jason. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I mean, whether it's tied to something else or not, I just feel like, my concern is, like, are you just trying to get all of the statues you're ever going to have, like, up in a hurry for some reason? Or 10 years from now, are there going to be a dozen statues? At which point, I do think you've reached a point where, like, I don't really care about any of them. They're, they're, they're just everywhere. I don't know. I, I think that limit would be pretty high for me. Even, like, a dozen. Maybe it's because they don't go to ballparks often. But just seeing the statues, I think, no matter how many there are, would be, be kind of cool. Like, a couple at each gate. I don't know that I've ever been in Heritage Park the few times I went to Progressive Field. Like, how big is it? Is it just a little thing like the Yankees used to have where it's a little, like, circle where you can see everybody? Or what is it? Uh, well, I mean, they redid it a little bit before this last season, so I don't know exactly what it's like now. But, I mean, it's not like a huge area, but it, it, I know it doesn't look the way I looked when I saw it. I mean, when I was there, Bob Feller was just outside the stadium, and then there were busts of a few players and things like that um, in Heritage Park. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I... I we we disagree on how many statues would be too many, which is the major thing. I just if like this is if if Boudreaux and and Robinson are the last two statues for ten years, uh, and then eventually like Tris Speaker and Nap Lajoie and twenty five years from now Francisco Lindor have statues, I'd be fine with that. But um, I I worry that twelve years from now Omar Vizquel is going to have a statue and Bob Lemon's going to have a statue and. For me, it, it, the bar for a statue should be a little higher than that. Although, if Omar Vizquel gets into the Hall of Fame, then I guess... <laughs> Let's give him a statue. Too like that. <laughs> I guess I'm just a sucker for seeing like big, grand-scale things. Like Even sitting in Progressive Field and seeing the names that they have like scattered along the, the upper deck seats, that's always still really cool to me. I, it's prob- I don't know. I guess somebody who goes every day would be a better judge of what is actually cool to see a lot and what's not. Because every time I go there, everything's amazing anyway. Just I don't know. I think it says in the comments that it's two levels, Heritage Park. There's a wall in the lower level and a circle on top. So there's plenty of room there, I'm sure. They can honor plenty of people in there without giving them statues, and I'm sure they already do. Um, who do you think is going to be the next one overall? You mentioned Lindor, which is kind of cool. Are they going to do that when he retires? Like, are they gonna, not going to wait that long for a statue? <laughs> well, I'm not willing to get that far ahead of myself. In <laughs> do you confirm I also, a statue for Francisco Lindor? I don't think it's going to be that long a wait. They're going to have done four yeah. statues in like four years. There's no reason to think it's going to be another 20 years before they do another statue. I would like if if it doesn't take too long for several reasons. If there's a World Series, like something to commemorate that, like how the White Sox have Juan Uribe jumping over the wall. I would like something out of whatever the Indians will win the World Series, which hopefully is in the next couple of years, of course. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't know. I would say for my pick, it'd be LaJoy or how do you pronounce it? I always say it right. I always Lajoy. say it. Oh, and, and I mean, like he and Tris Speaker in terms of like great and important Speaker, players yeah. in franchise history. The thing is, and the reason the Tomei statue makes more sense is people don't care as much about a statue of someone who played baseball, you know, a hundred years before they were, you know, before they were showing up at the stadium. Like it's, it's, it's not a draw the way a Jim Tomei statue. Jim Tomei is, and I mean, this is, I guess, debatable, but to me pretty comfortably the best player in the last 50 years for the Indians. So like to me, he's, he was great. He was popular and people who love Jim Tomei are still potentially buying tickets to go to games and see a statue of Jim Tomei. Well, that's kind of the cynical way of looking at it, isn't it? They're just doing it to, to bring people in. Like, isn't part of the big reason also to teach people about those old players that might not know about anymore. 
like taking yeah, your kids. And I like, oh, Bob Flash away and and Tris Speaker getting one. But again, like I don't want someone who wasn't like one of the ten best players in franchise history getting a statue. Frank Robinson's a different case because he's not his significance to the team isn't as a player. But like to me, Omar Vizquel having a statue is like, well, okay, then let's give Manny a statue and Bell a statue and Lofton a statue. <laughs> yeah. And let's give Grady Sizemore a statue. And maybe Travis Hafner should have a statue. And again, to me, statues are only cool because they're kind of like a, a rare thing. If, if every corner I crossed had a statue, I pretty quickly would be tuning out statues. <laughs> if I had a preference, I would put the Michael Martinez statue like right behind home plate. In that little gap there so everybody can see it during the broadcast. Maybe we can get like a statue of him bunting. Or... Hey, you've already acknowledged <laughs> if, if Michael Martinez hit a hit a home run in that, you've already acknowledged with the one you're making that you'd be cool with a Michael Martinez statue. I don't like let's make that a conversation. How big of a play would Michael Martinez have to have <laughs> to get to be okay with a statue? Because Juan Uribe wasn't huge in Chicago either, was he? He wasn't Michael Martinez level, but no. He made an amazing no, play. Michael Martinez hits a walk-off home run to win Game 7 of the World Series. You can give him a statue. Like I I don't care. You can pull a guy off the street, in, and if he hits the walk-off home run in Game 7, a statue's appropriate. <laughs> That's fair. That that would be a, an all-time statue. I can't imagine the way the internet would react to him. Can you imagine if he get to World Series, Game 7 again, and it's the last at that, and Michael Martinez is up? <laughs> good or bad, those last few seconds before he swings are going to be horrible. I would hope it results in good, but you never know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's anything else about the world or not the world series, um, about the hall of fame statues, anything like that before we get to social media questions. Nope. I think we've covered it. Okay. So every Monday I was asking you guys on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. If you have any questions to ask us today, we had to have a little talk on Twitter because all you people asking about the outfit of Michael Brantley, we do not know anything about Michael Brantley. I swear <laughs> we have no other information than you have. If we do, we usually write about it. The outfield, we're just guessing at this point. We're making educated guesses. We don't know what the Indians are actually doing. So there is your forever answer about the outfield situation. So I asked um, people to submit a question. As long as it didn't have the outfield of Michael Brantley, we would pretty much answer it. <laughs> I should have wrote this one now, but somebody asked, um, who is always going to play the positions where they stand on grass? And that was a creative way to get around it. I like that one. Uh, we won't answer that one. So, so the one I did say we would answer is, Jason, how much cheese is too much cheese on a date? Andrew19k wants to know, how much is too much? Uh, you shouldn't have to ask someone else how much cheese is too much cheese. If you don't have the confidence to determine your own cheese eating quantities, you shouldn't be going out on a date. <laughs> that's a very good point. That's that's the best way to answer that. And just so nobody calls us out, I'm aware it's a no way sunny in Philadelphia reference, but it just makes a great question. And I said, that was the first person to respond when I said, as long as it is an outfielder Brantley, we'll take it. So we've got that one out of the way. Um, another kind of neat question I liked was tribe, tribe rally drum. Who's just acting as John Adams drum on Twitter. On Twitter, he wants to know, do you feel like I'm in more danger this year with Edwin and Canarsione on the team? Thanks. Basically, he wants to know, is Edwin Canarsione going to hit the drum? I don't think it's been done yet. Mike Napoli came within, like, one or two rows of it last year. I don't remember when that was. I know what happened. But I don't think anybody's actually hit it. Do you think Edwin will be the first? Or do you think it'll happen this year at all with anybody hitting the drum? No, I'm going to take the safe bet and say no one hits the drum. Uh, <laughs> I want to add to so that, fun. if someone does, Edwin and Carnacion is is the best <laughs> Uh, the best candidates. Can we just thank John Adams for a minute? Because I love that drum so much. I love being there and hearing it. I love hearing it on TV. I love how much other fans hate it. Like, <laughs> whenever any team is playing in progressive field, I always watch on Twitter fans who don't watch the Indians offense. Like, where is that damn drum coming from? I don't even notice it anymore when I watch, but I love that it infuriates people so much. How do you feel about the drum in general, Jason? I'm going to disappoint listeners everywhere by saying I don't have a hot take about <laughs> the drum. Uh, John Adams seems very nice. I, I, one of my, maybe my first trip to Cleveland, uh, I hung out with him before the game for a while and talked with him. He was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I think he, uh, I think it's cool that he does it. Um, but I, while I'm watching Indians baseball, tend not to actually notice or think about it much. Which again, I think it's because we're just so used to it that we don't notice. Yeah, it. no, I mean, I think it says something about how ubiquitous it is and, you know, how long he's been doing it. So uh, I admire his dedication. <laughs> and my John Adams story is way lamer, but the first, not the first time I went, but in 2014, I went to an early game in the spring and I didn't know where he sat at that point. So I was actually sitting in his seat. <laughs> then we moved over. He came up without his drum at first. And then he just asked for a seat. I was like, oh, okay, I don't know. 
And then we moved over, and then I didn't see him get his drum. And when the game started, it was just like, bam! And it scared the crap out of me the first time. So I've been very close with the drum before, and I still like it. And I was a little scared. <laughs> so next question. Uh, Mark Shuffleton on Facebook, he wants to know, could you find out if Richie Schaefer's tenure with the Tribe organization is a, tri- is a record for shortness? I believe that even Ricky Ledee in 2000 lasted two weeks before being traded again. So if anybody didn't know, Richie Schaefer was the first base, third baseman that the Indians claimed a few days ago. He lasted a whole three days before the Indians traded today for a reliever and they had to DFA him. It was just kind of a merry-go-round of it. First, Jesus Aguilar was DFA'd, and then the Indians got the reliever and there's a DFA. Richie Schaefer, which, by the way, Schaefer, this is like his sixth team of the offseason. He was traded from the Braves to the Mariners. See if I got the order memorized. And then the Phillies claimed him, and then the Reds claimed him, and the Indians claimed him. And now somebody else is probably going to claim him. So he'll have a home eventually. It's just not going to be on the Indians. So, Jason, did you give any idea if this was even close to the shortest? I couldn't think of a way to look it up other than going transaction by transaction, and I don't have time for that. As much as I do kind of want to know the answer. Yeah, I don't know a good way to look it up. I would bet it's not the shortest. Uh, I would bet at some point someone has been officially with the organization fewer than four days. I feel like there's probably like a weird, you know, two trades in the same day where a guy was acquired and then let go to make room for another guy on the same day. But I don't have definitive proof that that's the case. It's just my best guess. I do also wonder if there was like a three-team trade where for some weird reason the player had to come to the Indians first and go to the second team for it to be official. I know usually you just do like you trade it whoever, but maybe there was some contract reason you had to go to the Indians first. I don't know. But but he was here for a really short time. I think the most interesting thing about that story is that it finally caused the Indians to designate Jesus Aguilar, who apparently has a huge following in Cleveland. I don't know why. <laughs> he's been kind of good in the minors. Hasn't really had a chance in the majors, but he's DFA'd. Uh, I don't know if he'll get claimed or not. Do you have any strong feelings about one Jesus Aguilar? I strongly feel he was never going to be an important member of the Indians. But if they gave him a chance, Jason, he was going to be able to did give him a chance. He had more than one chance. He wasn't a good, he wasn't a great, he wasn't a major league caliber baseball player. Move on, people. (laughs) You need at least 3,000 at-bats before you can say for sure, Jason. Move on. You don't know that. (laughs) Okay, so Er, I think I might have wrote that one down. Erm Schaefer on Facebook wants to know, do you see another trade deadline move in our future? And if so, what position do you think we will trade for? I'm sure in the future there will be a trade deadline acquisition. <laughs> Who do you think it will be, Jason? Any ideas? Uh, Mike Trout. I have, no, I have no idea in a player, so I might as well guess big. I'm going to say Mike Trout. Oh, he only asked what position. I think they'll trade for an outfielder. I won't even see that it was position. Yeah, if it's going to be anything, it's going to be an outfielder. I don't know if they go for another midseason reliever. I think at this point they have enough minor leaguers they could just cram in there with Andrew Miller and everybody else that they don't need to trade for I one. But I feel I, I don't like criticizing questions because I feel like a jerk doing it. But like, how about like spring training opening day questions? I don't. I'm not ready to look at the trade deadline just yet. <laughs> Jason, calling up. I'll be the bad cop here. I want questions <laughs> about the near future or like <laughs> ten years down the road. I'm not ready for late. 2017 questions. Well, I thought it was a great question, so you know what? Erm Schaefer, I apologize for Jason being so rude. <laughs> At least you didn't ask about the outfielder Michael Brantley. <laughs> That's all I care about. But yeah, so this is kind of a weird question. I don't, who knows? Mike Trout. That's a good answer. The only thing I did was kind of look at who's going to be your free agent next year. Maybe they trade for a catcher? Yadier Molina? He's going to be a, he could be a free agent. He has a buyout. They could trade for Rajai Davis again. So that'd be cool. J.D. Martinez? I don't know. I'm just winging it like you were. But I'm aiming slightly smaller than Mike Trout. A tiny bit lower. But either way, I don't think. Andrew McCutcheon, another one they might trade for? Who knows? So the next one, um, what was I going to do next? Oh, yeah, okay. So Nicholas Hagedorn on Facebook wants to know, what's the possible batting order with and without Brantley since we don't know if he's going to be healthy? So this is a Brantley question, but I thought it was at least different. (laughs) So with or without Brantley, do you think it makes a huge difference this year where he bats? Uh... Is he going to affect the lineup a whole lot either way? No, I mean, if he's good, he should bat, like, third, fourth, or fifth again. Um, if he's not playing well or if he's not healthy, I think the batting order ends up looking a lot like it did last year. Yeah. I can't imagine he's going to go straight to, like, the number three, though. He's going to bat at the bottom for a while and see if he can earn the top spots. There's no way after, what is it now, a full season and a half, he's just going to be a number three hitter. But, yeah, I don't think it'll make a huge difference either way because he was just so ineffective last season. He's not existent last season besides 11 games. Yeah. So um, our next question from Derek Phillips on Facebook. He wants to know, is Big Lawn, well, I think Chisholm Hall, obviously, or Brandon Geyer starting in right field? The answer is both. They're going to platoon last year. 
I mean, <laughs> anything to add, Jason? Nope. <laughs> there we go. It's a platoon. It happens. It's staying that way. And our last question, this one was added kind of late, but I thought it was a really interesting question. Um, so Alex T.R. or Alex T. Rhodes on Twitter, he wants to know, will Guy or Bat lead off against left-handed pitchers? So that sounds kind of weird, but I mean, last season, there was the platoon of Carlos Santana against right-handers and Rajai Davis against lefties. And obviously, we know Britton Geyer is just amazing against left-handed hitters, and Rajai Davis is no longer there. I think it's plausible. I mean, in the last three seasons, I looked it up, um, against left-handed hitters among literally every hitter, uh, Brandon Geyer is ninth and on base percentage at 404. I think that'd be a good idea. I don't think it's too above Terry Francona to do it. I think he would do a Geyer Santana platoon at leadoff, and I'd be a big fan of it. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, for the same reason, you know, he basically, in terms of the lineup then, is just taking over Davis's spot. Um, yeah. I could see it. You know, the, I think the other thing to keep in mind, I mean, you know, his career numbers against lefties are really good. Uh, the Brandon Geyer the Indians got late last season uh, was substantially better than the Brandon Geyer who existed uh, up until that point. So I think he'll do well against lefties, and I think he can do well enough to, to, to try in the leadoff role. Um, but I don't think we should be looking for an OPS uh, above 900 or even above 800 from Geyer this year. I think if, if his OPS were you know something like 770, we should all be uh, plenty happy with that. Yeah, and I mean, against lefties, it's not a new thing that he hits really well. He's always been really good against him. It's just that for a while, he wasn't platooned. And then it was the Indians that first strictly platooned him. On Tampa Bay, he played quite a bit against right-handed hitters, but he should be nowhere against righties, I don't think. So that's a good question. I mean, who do you think is going to lead off against left-handed hitters if it's not a guy? Or, is it just Santana all I can the time, see Santana or? just batting lead off both ways. Yeah. He's not that much worse against lefties, is he at least getting on base? It's yeah. his power that goes away against lefty hitter. But no, but you're right. Pitcher. I mean, and, and, and Alex is right. Geyer is, a, is an intriguing uh, possibility against lefties. For sure. I'm trying to think of who else, and I can't think. I get, you, you don't want to start Lindor on leadoff. There's no reason to. Remember when Jason Kittness was a leadoff hitter? That was a fun couple months. 2015 was really weird. <laughs> the more I look back on it, the more it was just a really weird season. Because the Indians were so bad, and they seemed like they would be so good. And then 2016 came around and just wiped it all away, so I was okay with that. But yeah. So that's all our questions. Pretty much the show. Um, anything exciting for you coming up, Jason? Nope. Every day brings us one day closer to pitchers and catchers and then to opening day. So just scratching them off one day at a time. <laughs> so how close are you to, to baby them? I keep forgetting every week. Oh, I'm... You've got to be close, right? Under five weeks from due date, dumb. So I guess I'm <laughs> anywhere date. from two to seven weeks from baby dumb, depending on how things shake out. Well, cool. That's exciting. Are you going to take any time off the podcast or anything? Are you going to do it while you're... Uh, you yeah, no, the middle of the night. time off podcast. I was planning to oh, talk you. to you about off-air <laughs> about that, but yeah, oh, no, I'll you're not allowed. time off. <laughs> well, you're not allowed. You can just bring the baby on. It'll be a guest. She'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't have anything either. So um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget, you can listen to this on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, uh, YouTube, all kinds of fun, weird, interesting places. Um, so we will see you around. See you next week.